Yeah, I'm working today. Headed to uh, headed to the radio studio as soon as we finish up here in the podcast studio. All right, so we are going to try to no frills it today. I'm not no going to say, say those two words that Ted jinxes. So yeah, I'm just can I tell you something before no we get into our no frills show? Um, yeah. It's it's you give me a frill. I got a frill. It's relevant to your life somewhat. I think maybe. Um, <laughs> I've just been listening to uh, your old buddy and I think current buddy Stephen Hyden on the Ryan Rossillo podcast. Yeah, he's still current buddy for sure. Yeah, your current buddy. I guess just finished a book about the Pearl Jam. Yeah, I mean he's always finishing a book. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it sounds the next book. It sounds really good. Uh, he ha- it's a, it's a lot of interesting stuff. They had a really interesting conversation about like the Seattle scene and how Pearl Jam was looked at by guys like Cobain and and then like. A really interesting sort of tertiary Stone Temple Pilots conversation. Would recommend that portion of the Rosillo pod to uh, grunge fans. Yeah, although Rosillo was like kind of like Pearl Jam's not on the level of some of these other bands, and I was like, oh, settle down, man. I don't know <laughs> if that's what he said. I think he was. I, I he think said that directly in the beginning. Well, right. I mean, but I think he's mostly when you listen to the whole conversation. I think he's mostly talking about the sort of the the common like scene perception of the time yeah well and certainly his guy said he was a nirvana guy and and it, it right. did, 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 had to break along those lines he kind of had to pick one of those two bands right and right? i do think he is he acknowledges that like a lot of that was all silly and they're all good bands in 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 the long view <laughs> yeah yeah 100 um yeah that is a it's a good conversation and uh steven's uh indie cast is also a good podcast nice. as well if you nice nice uh, I just, I yeah. was really, I had never really contextualized Stone Temple Pilots because I'm a little younger than you guys. So I think I was too young to fully appreciate the like dynamics of the scene. I mean, I'm 10 in 91. So okay, that music you. blew my mind, but it was like a very young mind and, and I just loved it all. I didn't, I didn't ha- feel the pressure to choose because I wasn't necessarily old enough to be worried about being cool. Well, and I feel like SCP sort of, as the records went on, went more in a, in a little bit more like a glam rock direction, and I think Scott Weiland found uh, his voice a little bit as, as yeah. he was also finding hard drugs. Um, yeah, and it it made sort of that these bands are rip off ideas uh, less cogent. Yeah. yeah, and I think Stephen uh, rightly points out like so much of that came from that uh, that plush video. Yes, which really does look. He's doing some like of Pearl Jam their dance video. moves. Right. Plush is probably their most Pearl Jam sounding song. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yep. like it's, yeah. So it wasn't that, like the, the, the chorus. If you only listened to the chorus of Plush, and someone was like, "This is a Pearl Jam ripoff band," you'd be like, "Yeah, I get it." Yeah, yeah. Now there, look, there was there was also sort of the benefit of like along came a lot of other Pearl Jam ripoff bands over the years. Like sucked, after by the Pearl way. Jam ripoff years, almost all of them are terrible. Yeah. So it's like, now we know what that really looks like. Right. You know what I mean? True story. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's my uh, music detour, top of the pod. Uh, Stephen Hyden, good on music. Yes, good on music. Yeah. Fun to go to a show with, too. Uh, nice. All right, let's, uh, let's, um, let's talk about Challenge. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Sorry, I thought that was going to be. I thought I thought you were going to like head right into something there. Um, I, you know, I. It's weird. I feel like no one is acknowledging the like. Hey, man, the numbers are really low right now. <laughs> like, you might have to make yeah. some hard choices, right? You know, I. It is what it is, you know. So, There's I, only so 
many options. Here's here's something that is of great interest to me today. Um, we have talked a lot about Sarah and Danny's strategic play. And I will grant you, the only reason it went smoothly this week is because they got a, they caught a break with the swimming challenge and also a break with Jordan making a critical and easily avoidable mistake. And uh, yes, and Emily won the challenge, so they didn't have to out themselves as snaky liars, right? But as we sit today, is it fair to say that despite our protests, Sarah and Danny have played a very successful game that has turned out exactly how they hoped? I think that's fair to say. I, I think I think it's undeniably working for them. They're right. still here. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and not only here, but like, I'm not sure either of them has sincerely been mentioned as a candidate for elimination. Yeah, which is crazy. It's crazy. Because cra- I would actively be trying to get rid of them right now. As would I. And I'm so <laughs> surprised still that no one is, especially since like Theo is not one of the connected legends. So I don't think Sarah and Danny are right about the way they see the game. I don't think they're right about, like, they seem to be suggesting that all the veterans are playing on pure emotion, and I just think that's a misperception. That's That's insane. They're hypocrites. Right. on top of that, like, they could have, yeah, but they could have been in the same position by just riding um, an alliance with, uh, with Tori and her friends. Like all I, way, I, all the way to the final. I completely like, agree. Way easier. We all agree it would have been like you and I are on the same page here. But you know, at a certain point, I think we have to admit that even if they like sort of tripped their way to breaking the ribbon, they are here, and not just here, but as as easily from a from a like actual game standpoint. Never mind the political drama. They they have cruised about as much as one can cruise this to this late stage of the game. We're a, we're an episode away from the final. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean I think we just did admit that. It still it still is uh it still feels wrong though. It doesn't feel like even though Tori has not gone into elimination or really come that close to being said right like it it doesn't feel like they've cruised though, right Tori and Danny. I mean it there. doesn't feel <laughs> like it and yet. Here they are. Like they've never had to do anything tough. They've never really yeah. won anything. But I don't know. I don't know. All right. I have a couple of uh conspiratorial producer questions. Uh the the first is is pretty obvious in terms of do you think they use the swimming challenge and the obvious advantage that Emily and yes would have in a swimming challenge as um you know, in, do you think they intentionally deployed it at this particular stage of the game when uh, Yes and Emily would be obvious targets? I don't know that they have the. I don't know that the dailies are that agile. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I I'm mean, sure, I you don't think they have all of the dailies planned out for the season? I think they have them all planned out, but especially this late in the game, I think it's probably tough to like jumble them around. And by the way, next well, I don't know. Next week it looks like they're swimming as well. So I think I, uh, really they're just in South Africa by the water and swimming has been involved in like half the challenges, which has just been a benefit to Emily. Yeah. I don't know. If somebody's in the final, I'm going to be pissed. There's going to be some at this rate, right? You got to figure there's going to be some swimming. But there's plenty. uh, Look, Jordan and Kaz would have won if Jordan hadn't picked the wrong color piece like an idiot. And it's it's like, you know, I think we both have an appreciation for Jordan, even if I stopped short just now of using the word love. Um, But there is something beautiful about watching his impotent fury when he's the one who blows it. The Jordan and Kaz team chemistry uh, is is tough to watch, and yes. I put almost all of that on Jordan. Frankly. All of it. Yeah. All she wants is a little bit of respect. Yeah. 
And she's literally like, could you just respect me the smallest amount? And he's like, no, I really couldn't. Right. <laughs> and then and walks away. It's just like she's been nothing but a good partner, really. Right. Like she's she's been good in these games. She's been. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't well, and look, sometimes Jordan needs that wake up call. And I, I wonder and for Kaz's sake, hope that him blowing a challenge that they should have won against an Olympic swimmer sh- will like settle him at least a little. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, it would be to the benefit of their team. He is going to need to build her up for the final. If that, and yeah. it does look like that's where they're headed. It sure does. Who would you, uh, well, I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard. Probably hard to handicap who's going out this week. It's all every, you know, these teams are all relatively equal at this point. I think. Yeah. I mean, once again, we're, we're in this place with both the challenge and the top chef. We're like, Sure, I can I can come up with ways any team could leave, but in the end, what it probably comes down to is who makes the mistake this week, right? I mean, ultimately, Jordan making the mistake this week led to a very different elimination than we might have seen if anybody other than Yes and Emily had won the challenge. The day, right. that's why I'm so. It's like. I don't get Sarah talking about I want to keep people around who are going to protect me. Yeah. Like there's one elimination left. <laughs> you it's, don't need yeah. that much protection. And I guess more. you don't you're not you, you are not 100% sure of that if you're Sarah, but you should you should realize it's very soon even if it's two more eliminations. Yeah. I mean, I'm um, 100% sure because they said in the beginning. We're 100% I, sure. I'm saying Sarah yeah, Sarah may not be, but but again, she knows there's only a few teams left, so she's you know, and she's not an idiot. She just is. Yeah. I think she. I honestly, I think what it is with Sarah is is little more than she is just a very self centered person, and so she is. You know, the more self centered you are in one of these you know uh rats in a barrel situations the harder it is for you to see the big picture yeah i you know i mean i sort of agree with that my just my one counterpoint with that to that would be is that she seems to in all of these games form really solid loyal alliances well self-centered people have friends too like it's not Uh, yeah i'm not saying she's a bad person but she is very like her viewpoint is very insulated um, and paranoid and yeah, yeah. I well, I think the paranoia and 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 a lot of that stuff is pretty easily attributable to like this is her second time on a challenge, and you could argue her first time on a real challenge. Um, I think that's relatively natural, but there's just something about the way she views the whole thing where she is totally unable to get outside her own limited perspective that that gives her a very specific perception of what's happening. Interesting. She's uninterested in getting outside of her perspective. I agree. So, I agree. Well, which is what makes I, me say she's self-centered. I just, you know, I still don't get why Danny wants to line up with her and not just and not ride Tori's alliances all the way. It would have been so much simpler. I just, I don't get it. I, yeah, it's well, it's hard I, to, and and I can't think of anything other than like prior attachment, just like from knowing her previously. And his own paranoia that, like, somehow his partner is going to screw him over. But that, like, I think what what they are, what, what has truly been missed and just not processed properly by that contingent, Danny and Sarah in particular, but Emily to a degree, too, is that, like, and honestly, the only one that it really doesn't make sense with is Danny. Because, to be fair, yes, who is Emily's partner, and Theo, who is Sarah's partner, are, like, as non- legend from a like relationship relationship standpoint as anybody right so like they are a little bit free agent but danny really should be taking advantage of his partner's connections and i just don't think the concept of like being your only team your only real team in this game being your partner i don't think danny has processed that right no no it's weird, right? Because he's so like talking worried about that Tori has other number ones, but Tori's not his number one. Sarah's his number one, right? So like oh, he's doing the same effing thing. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just I, I don't know. It's very it's very weird. 
Exactly. Oh, that, that whole relationship has been very weird. And, and the idea of Tori having split loyalty between Jordan and Casey is just silly. She just has two allies. Like, I don't yeah. understand what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet, I just, you know, we're late enough in the game that I feel compelled to keep saying, here they are, very comfortable, both Sarah and Dan yeah. right now. I mean, you really so. have to like both their odds of getting into the final at this yeah. point. I The other producer thing I had was, I don't know, man. I really thought that TJ was going to do more with the stalemate thing after yeah. like them than just being like, all right, well, you guys pick. Yeah, when he was <laughs> like, I warned you not to do this again, I was like, ooh. And then yeah, it was just like, like come on, bring me a twist, TJ. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also do think, like, Tori was being dumb. I love Tori. I'm on her side. I think Danny has largely been the one screwing this up. But don't do the thing where you throw yourself in. We we have to have learned that that's not the right thing. Right. Casey had a right for the beginning. She was like, there's got to be a way out of this. Yeah. You know, that was didn't she wasn't going to throw herself in. And she didn't think Jordan should throw himself in. And she was right. Yeah. So. Um, although she did wind up going in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's fine. They've been in before, right? You know what I mean? Well, so. and I, I have to say, when I saw the, the elimination, I was like, ooh, this looks like it could be a Darrell-friendly sort of thing. And then they were like, math. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of math in this one. A lot of math. Um... I'm sad to see Darrell go because he was definitely our best ITM person left. So, um, it's gonna, it uh, might be a struggle for lines for the rest of the season. Uh, okay. I don't hate Jordan in there, even though he's a dickhead. <laughs> you know, like, and Theo occasionally has a bar, although he has really played the background all year long he sure has man it's just been real quiet which like real. maybe that is his best strategy because i think in the past he has been too loud and it has put him like in jeopardy at least in one of the two seasons he did i'm just waiting for someone to say this woman challenges are racist because it, it does seem to be like an undercurrent of, of many many seasons of the challenge <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. <laughs> Should we move on to Top Chef? Uh, can we just, uh, even though they ended up winning the elimination, I do want to mention um, Troy is the smallest man there, right? Well, I mean, yeah, still yeah, is, right? So. Like, yeah, kind of. I mean, he's yes, right? Noticeably. He's like, yeah. and he's like a ninja guy. Like, he. That's how he wins, right? He's like agile. Isn't, isn't that how he got to this thing? Wasn't he like on Australia's Ninja Warrior? Or yeah, whatever? I think he was. So, like, can someone explain to me why he had the most hilariously bad swing through that wall? Like, clearly the strategy is get your body up in the air so you knock as few bricks over as possible. And he just went like full Kool-Aid man through the thing. Oh. I thought you were talking about the second wall. Oh, man, you're right. You're right. The first wall, yeah, for sure. It's so weird. Like, he must be good at swinging on ropes. How was he worse at it than Kiki? What's going yeah. on here? He did, in fact, come from Australian Ninja Warrior. So. Yeah. And he just, like, it was like he did. It was like he was trying to make a body outline like the, like, Wiley Coyote through the thing. He, he like, stretched his feet down. I was like, yeah. what are you doing? And they ended up winning because Kiki and Darrell literally couldn't do a relatively straightforward math problem. But good God, man. <laughs> Where are you on the mustache with him? I think when you look like that, a mustache is a reasonable accessory. I don't know, man. I've just, I just feel like I would like him ten times better if he didn't have it. It's a very it's, Joe Dirt mustache, but yeah, he's got yeah. a very Joe Dirt overall vibe, I think. <laughs> it's, I guess that – well – I think he has a very Joe Dirt overall look, but yes. I don't know that his vibe is Joe Dirt. That's the whole. No, but I'm, you know what? I think like the Joe Dirt look in Australia is less loaded. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Like he seems like a genuinely nice person, like like pretty yes. good guy. But he uh, does. He looks like the like uh, albino younger brother of Nicolas Cage's character from Raising Arizona. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He just. <laughs> 
Ah, he just looks creepy to me. He looks like he drives a windowless van somewhere or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, see, I think I think we're, you're viewing an Australian face through an American prison. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> um, all right, Top Chef Restaurant Wars. Um, it was a a different. Epic. I thought. Go ahead. Sorry. What What did you say? I said it was an epic episode. I thought it was a really, I really enjoyed this one. I, I, I totally agree. Even though ultimately, I think it was a, it was not a very suspenseful, who wins, um, restaurant wars. Like correct, one was a lot better than the other. That said, it was a totally new version of restaurant wars. Like to I, not version, ha- yeah, to not have the design element. It was almost like they said. Yeah, all that stuff's fun for a normal season, but with the level of chef we got, we just want you guys in the kitchen. I no one really likes chefs going home for crappy front of housework, right? I mean, no, I do find it to be an interesting television twist in a normal season, but I can understand why with the level of chef here in the eight chefs you have, you'd want to just put them all in as good a situation as possible. So, I get that and look, ultimately a huge part of the winning team was the concept, right? I mean, I, I think it was Buddha who said that before they started, and he was right. Like, if you if your concept is concrete and understandable and comes through in the food, it's going to give you a leg up, and it did. Yeah, I would say it was the concept, but it wasn't just having the concept. It was also the way that they executed yes. and communicated that concept. You know Correct. what I mean? And, and I thought – you know, it's funny because at the beginning when you were watching them talk to each other before anything started happening, I would actually say that Victoire's team seemed more organized. Yeah. They but, a better handle on their concept. But when you but when Buddha and Amar and Ali and uh and uh Sarah got in the kitchen, they all seemed to understand their roles. And I thought the fact that like you know, the way they helped each other, the way Sarah was clearly the person who was like presenting the concept and, and fleshing it out in a way that the other team didn't to the servers and the, the, the you know, the front of house people. I, I just thought that they it was weird because you didn't totally see it happen from an organization standpoint, but they clearly arrived at the kitchen fully understanding what needed to be done. And they've really executed well. Yes. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, it was, Buddha's dishes just looked off the charts to me. And well, yeah. Prop Sarah for like making a really elegant, um, super English dish. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yeah, she really, she specifically, and that's part of again having the concept and having everyone buy in and execute the concept. Like that's not what Sarah's food usually looks like, but she understood the brief and she nailed it. Right, and and I think. We have to say once again, Buddha did the thing where he makes the best chefs in the world say "Wow," and he just yeah. he's he just seems to be whatever that little extra oomph is above everybody else. Yeah, I mean, he. Seems to have um, a high class. You know what I mean? Like, there's an extra gear. Yes. In terms of the the Michelin star type dining that I don't know that every chef possesses. You know, um, and he's comfortable in the down home stuff. That said, I do sort of think that next week's uh, challenge could be a big problem for him, and for a lot of chefs actually, from what it's from, from the way the trailer looked. I I had the same thought. Um, the I I just a few other thoughts on on things from this week. Um, Ali, I think, like it, <laughs> it was a very simple mistake. He and and understandable in a way. He overreduced his his jus right his sauce for the lamb, and. I understand conceptually the idea of like, well, I overreduced it, so it's like probably a little saltier than I want it to be. I'll just and it's not it. enough of it. You know what I mean? There's not enough of it when you. Yeah, I think it. there is enough of it though. 
You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't so overreduced that he only had two drops per plate. I think he just had the thought, like, well, I don't want to oversalt the whole dish with it, so I'll just put a very little amount. And I mean, it just was not the right answer to the problem. When you got Tom going, I don't think I've ever seen Tom go back there and look in the middle of service before. Never. And I think, like, you probably either could have remade it and just slowed things down a quick second or watered it down somehow. Like, there there was probably another fix that would have, if not solved it, at least, like, improved it. Yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't a bad dish, but he was no. fortunate that that was the winning team because if they had lost, he would have almost clearly gone home, I think. Definitely. Um, so. If they had lost, he was the only one who didn't get raves. And and I would also say, although his dish looked perfectly good, all of the other dishes were, like, stunningly beautiful on the plate. Yeah, I feel like his was a little less inspired yes. creative-wise uh, creative than And they than didn't – and I understand they, they brought in the Cornish pasty to try to, like, Englishify that particular – dish in the progression but they never really it didn't that whole course did not come together the way the other ones did yeah i i think that's true uh what did you think of the touch of having a a critic a a secret critic in house because i kind of like that as well i loved it and i thought he um he became he got a little more critical when it came to judges table because I, I thought I, as I worry that he liked everything right. when he was eating you know but, but I, I think that I think every now and then it's good to get a reminder and this was one that like the bad dishes here are not like bad dishes usually they're just imperfect dishes right yeah. so like when when the first thing he says to every dish is oh mm. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a reminder that, like, okay, yeah, they're critical about a little too much salt in the leaks or whatever, but this is all better food than we're eating most nights. Yeah. Yeah. Better food than a professional critic is eating a lot of nights. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, I, I, those two touches uh, I would love to see in, in future Restaurant Wars because uh, I think they helped admit tonight. Uh, and made it a little bit more about who's making food, you know what I mean, than uh-huh. who's who's stretched by the parameters of the challenge. Yeah, I will say I don't think they'll be able to find a three Michelin star restaurant every year. <laughs> yeah, man. Next time I'm in London, I gotta I gotta look up this court. Yeah, and uh, I mean, what an incredible moment for Buddha too to have a woman who seems to be like his most significant mentor who is also one of the most significant chefs in the world, uh, you know, have her celebrate him is pretty cool. It seemed like she was like third chef in line too, when they worked together. So like her career must have advanced quite a bit since those days yeah. Yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, though, no, that was touching. It was a lot, a lot of tears, man. A lot of tears in this episode. So. Yeah. Uh, Did you watch did- last chance kitchen? I did not watch Last Chance Kitchen, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I did want to talk about the elimination because we hadn't we hadn't gotten too into that. Yeah, I have to say, like, I'm not surprised because you shouldn't make mediocre pasta for Tom Colicchio. Um But I was shocked that, and credit to him, that Gabri did not take the opportunity to throw Tom under the bus for not delivering a a key ingredient for his dish, which virtually every judge was like, sure felt like something was missing, maybe a vegetable. And Tom left his, left Gabri's goddamn cauliflower on the floor of the market. Yeah. I would go one further than that in that. I was surprised. Generally the producers make sure that the judges know that there's a missing ingredient and yeah. want to grill them about it. Right. And I was, so I was not only surprised that Gabri didn't give it up, but that they didn't just pursue it anyway. Yeah, so, but he didn't get eliminated. So, like, I, I would have felt terrible if he had been eliminated when they literally were asking for something that he had planned as part of the dish and somebody else forgot to bring it. Yeah, me too. I was uh, 
yeah, I was really hoping that wouldn't happen for that specific reason. And then particularly when they didn't even address it, it seems like, like it would have been a real shame for him to go home Yeah, for that. Cause it, it really wasn't his fault, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I think Tom felt legitimately bad, but he, you know, whatever he, he you know, he bears some he responsibility there. Yeah. Yes. And, and I thought like in, in total contrast to that was, a, a small and and like not too nasty, but like a definite. It was your fault. No, it was your fault. Moment from Tom and Nicole about the pacing of the meal, when like clearly it was both of your faults, and neither of you should be saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, right? They were asked directly, right? Like what? You, there was a problem with pacing. What happened? You know yeah, what I mean? but there's uh, two ways to do that. One way is like we made some mistakes in both planning and execution that led to the delay. And the other way is Tom made the book. Well, the pasta was slow, (laughs) you know, like they very specifically called each other out in a matter of three seconds instead of true. I, you know, I don't, I I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think I have any bias here, but to me, it seemed a little bit more on the pasta being insisted on being made by hand and only six at a time. I would agree, although I have to say I don't have any concept of how the, like, reservation book affects the pacing of the meal. So, like, it looked like the pasta slowed them down in real time. However, maybe if it had been uh, reservationed better, (laughs) uh, it wouldn't have been as big an issue. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Isn't But, I mean, isn't that why, like, I don't know. That, again, feels like something the front of house people should be managing. I will say when Tom suggested doing the reservations in exactly the way he ended up doing them, the entire team was on board. So, right. I, like, I did think it was a little cheap for Nicole to basically throw him under the bus in that scenario. And, and I, I guess I understood why he was like, well, the pasta was a little slow. But better for everyone, frankly, if you just – take group responsibility and don't air each other out like that no i do it, it is interesting that tom keeps finding himself in these types of situations right i just think he's so german i know i would be a, a you know he was first picked but i would be a little afraid to work with him in a group challenge even though i think he's a very good chef agreed agreed i think i i i really think ali ironically since he ended up making the worst dish on the winning team. Like, Buddha would be the first pick if he wasn't one of the captains, but I would pick Ali next. Hmm, interesting. I, I, to I me, think he's I'm been the there. most consistently excellent o- over the course of the season. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Gabri would scare me a little bit because he's he's so up and down. Yes. He's the, he's the Anthony Davis of this competition. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um. funny thing about that is as the anthony davis of this competition he could absolutely win it and he could absolutely be knocked out next week 100 percent. yeah he's a threat to win every week and a threat to go home every week so um i do enjoy though and i i think he is really talented yeah um and he he, in terms of the itm superstars on top chef he is he is the the dude yeah he has For great sure. ITMs. Just excellent. Um, <laughs> all right. Anything else we, you want to cover on Top Chef before we move on to culture? No, just I would echo your sentiments that this was a really excellent restaurant wars. And uh, I, I, although I do kind of enjoy the design concept in a normal year, like I wouldn't mind this being how it how it goes moving forward either because it does center the cooking more so than than the average season. Yeah, and that's why we're here. I just don't – the design part, fine. I just don't like seeing people go home for not doing reservations well and stuff when it's a, we're putting a restaurant together in 24 hours. You know what I mean? I do know what you it mean, but I also know that that stuff is part of making a restaurant, so I get it, you know? It's true. It's true. I and there's it. you know, then there's that whole strategy about who's the team leader and, and that – because that position is the next most likely to go home. So, right, right. Um, you know – 
I wonder how many contestants. I mean, all these contestants have done the show before, right? So I wonder how many of them realize you really want to be on the line. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I mean, probably all of them except the couple of few that uh, didn't have restaurant wars in their in their country. Yeah, I, it was so hard for me to imagine Top Chef without restaurant wars. I was really surprised when a weird, couple of right? So it seems like a core them. element, but maybe there's just I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 there must be cultural differences that explain it, but but I don't know what they are. I can't, can't think of what they would be. They certainly all have restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> they do all, all. All of these places have restaurants. That is a fact. All right. I think it's time to move on. Now that we've reached that point of agreement, let's talk culture. All right. Where do you want to go first? I would like to start with uh, Love and Death, the HBO, I think, limited series, which you scared the bejesus out of me right before we started by forgetting the name of and thinking you had forgotten to watch it. I don't know if it's an old man thing, but yeah, like I just completely blanked on the name of this show. It's not an inappropriate name, I guess, no. given what's going on. But like, it just, I was just like loving, I don't know. Like I was thinking it was like uh, that Netflix cartoon, like Love, Death and Robots. Wasn't that, wasn't, wasn't that a thing? Right. Or something? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, but I was like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, let's talk about <laughs> Ashley Olsen. Um, or, or sorry, Elizabeth Olsen, not Ashley yep, Olsen. Definitely That's not Ashley. Else. Not Mary Kate either. Nope. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, my my expectation bar was pretty high for this, and it's not bad, but I didn't feel. I'm not totally sucked in to this, and maybe it's just because it's like. I don't know. These people are so 80s Texas small town. I, I don't know. I'm just having a hard time finding my finding my entry point and my heroes in this in this group of people who seem to be kind of doing awful things. I mean, I I agree with that. Um I will say I think even that rather critical comment speaks to what this show is doing incredibly well, which is the acting and the like scene setting this really feels like the 80s it really feels like texas and these people feel exceptionally real and like emotionally well drawn yeah i would say that's true I, it's not surprising that the acting is great right like i mean it's, no it's but it's a lot of heavy lifting man yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of just facial expressions and quiet moments and like stares and little looks that are supposed to convey a ton of meaning. And it is really well done. Now yep. I, I would tend to agree with you that like making me care about a, like, uh, you know, murder in Texas in the eighties with church people is maybe a taller order than they realized. Um, but outside of being a story that I'm not sure I'm 100% interested in, whatever they're doing, they're doing it at a very high level, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, w I would agree with that. It is it, it is a high level. And maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say that I'm done with this. So, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it'll wrap me um, a little tighter as yeah. – uh, as the stakes start to get higher. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just having a tough time. I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, Ron, the, the new preacher. I'm just having a tough time connecting. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. And I would say I probably agree. Although it sounds like maybe I'm a little more likely to continue watching it. Um, yeah. but, but I, I, I am just kind I'm kind of, I mean, look, I have seen a lot of Elizabeth Olsen, but most of it has been as the one character in the MCU. And I have to say I'm impressed. Like Jesse Plemons, we know what he can do. Um, Kristen Ritter was a joy to, to see in this, I, I think. Um, but, I mean... You know I, I was really happy to see his, my, my guy from Almost Famous, Patrick Fugit. Yeah, Patrick Fugit. I, the, 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 like church board head guy is is uh, you know from ozark is, is everyone is very good in this but to uh, elizabeth olsen is a standout in a way that like i didn't necessarily like she is 
she is acting her butt off. Can and, I, I can I give you a movie recommendation? I know we don't have a, a million times to watch things, but if yeah. you want to see Elizabeth Olsen in a great uh, non comic book thing, mm-hmm. uh, Martha Marcy Ma- May Marlene. May, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is, is she's it's her first movie really, and she's tremendous. Right, yeah. I remember hearing about that at the time. Yeah. All right, good recommendation. Um, could we talk about the other HBO thing that is like, in many ways, the polar opposite of Love and Death? Yeah. It could be more opposite. I was, um, I did not realize that I was only getting one episode of this. Real bummer. Oh, and yeah, well, actually, that's that's the next thing we're going to talk about. I have a episode thought, but. I agree. I would have loved to watch more. I, I, the, the point of this seems to be, if I can boil it down as much as possible, like the uh, conservative or at least like illicitly conservative operatives have always been buffoons. <laughs> always it is the nature of the beast and i just you know it helps that woody harrelson is is doing his thing and and justin thoreau is also very good and very over the top but yeah i mean woody's really cooking yeah he is and, yeah at least in episode one you know what i mean yep and it, it's uh this is fun it's fun with watergate um yeah, it's fun if we're the the yeah when you're watching them all have a good time and I don't know, I don't know that conservatives necessarily have a monopoly on on the buffoonery. You know what I no, mean? No, I mean honestly, it's a lot of crime, right? A, like yeah. a, a lot of criminal activity is in its very nature buffoonish. Um, you know, especially the uh, this white collar nonsense. Um, yeah. It's so, fun to watch these guys be really bad criminals. It really is. It really is. And it and the delightful like on screen reminders of how dumb everything is are also enjoyable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um And they and really it, set the tone right at the beginning. There's no doubt. Like there is never And what's interesting, I actually heard one of the creators talking about this. Like it's mostly all just true stuff presented mostly as it happened with like you know the obviously there's a, a particular tilt to the acting but but there's not a lot of invented comedy here it's really just presenting the goofy dumb clowny stuff that was happening you know in such a way that the humor is visible yeah and you know look if you've seen real life G Gordon Liddy um it, it doesn't seem the Justin Thoreau thing doesn't seem too far off. Like no. there's definitely like some of it's played up for laughs a little bit. You know what I mean? But, no, but not much. I mean, it it does seem like it. Like he's he is definitely playing the real guy. Like he yeah. might be showing the funniest parts of the real guy, but but it feels it feels accurate. Uh, yeah. And did you know? I like maybe this is going to come up. I just learned this listening to the creator talk, but. Apparently, E. Howard Hunt was sort of notorious for suggesting he may have been the one who killed Kennedy. <laughs> I I was not aware of that, but I could definitely see it. I yeah. could definitely see it. Yeah. Um, when he's like trying to like impress the uh, the woman on the TWA flight. Yes. Um. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh man, God, I do. If there's what like. I, I don't obviously have very little desire to travel back to the 60s. Yeah. But man, does air travel seem just so much more fun. Yeah, way chiller. Then. Super chill. Yeah. Yeah. Like just just vibes <laughs> on these planes. <laughs> Everybody smoking and like double decker lounges. It's just a bar it's, in the air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It seems really great. How do we get back to that? Yeah. You know it was probably I mean? much less safe. And also, uh, you know, I think we've learned that. Um, putting yourself in a like a a closed system tube with a bunch of cigarette smoke is not the best idea. No, but, but I, it does look super cool. <laughs> when they first showed that scene, I'm like, "Whoa, they flew him back private." I was like, "No, wait, this nope. is just what regular plane was People like." People were just then. goofing off on the plane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, looked like, looked like one of the flights from Succession. You know what I mean? Right. 
totally. So, um, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, I'll watch more of this for sure. You know, yes. uh, it's presented in a, a, a bite-sized portions, I guess. So that makes it easier. Yeah. Um, I, I want to use that to transition. Um, we're and we're we're de- cruising at a dangerous speed here, but I I actually watched the third episode of Citadel, which came out last night. Oh wow. Um, so you were definitely ahead of me. I am ahead of you, but but I have to say, like, this is the sort of show that I might have watched most, if not all of, if it had been available. And it is the kind of show that by next Friday, I'm not sure I will remember to watch anymore. <laughs> and I think that's a critical mistake. I can see both of those things. I can, I can definitely see both of those things. Right? Like, this is entertaining stuff. It is action-packed. It is fast-paced. I don't hate the, like, long kiss goodnight sort of adjacent storyline thing they're doing here. I, I It is clearly going to have, like, a significant twist in every single episode. And... I could watch eight episodes of that in three days, no problem, if if it's this enjoyable. And I did it's think this was enjoyable. Way, too, because I like if I have a worry, it's that the triple and quadruple and quintuple crosses that are right. clearly coming. You know what I mean? Right. That are like stack up on top of each other. And I do think maybe that that's better at a binge. Yes. Um, Everything about this show says binge me. But I can't because it's going to take like six more weeks to come out. And I just don't know that it has like I don't know that anyone is going to have that level of attention span for this show. So yeah. I I just like I, I think this is a perfectly good and viable version of what it is and could be if they just released it all at once. I think that this is one of those things that it seems like Amazon clearly spent an, uh, just an ass load of money on. Right. And I think that they thought it was going to be buzzy in that way where that they wanted to keep a week to week conversation going. And that's just not the kind of show that it is. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if, if tr- benefits for being a week to week program, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's a talky show. If that's true, if what that you, you just... want to discuss, you know yes, what I mean? If what you just is, said is true. Yeah. They, I don't understand how they could misunderstand their own show that badly. Like, it is clearly just not that kind of show, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like, just understand what you are, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird. Um, I I do think that it is one of those things that they – I don't know. I wonder if I wonder if this whole Amazon thing is gonna work. <laughs> it just seems like it's. I like. Do you know anyone who talks about Amazon shows? I think, weirdly enough, I mean, obviously, it's hard to measure for me to talk the boys, about the boys a little bit, maybe, right? Well, I was gonna say. No, I was gonna say. Uh, sure, the boys. You're right. Now that you say it, but but the one that I think actually got the most buzz that I noticed was Reacher. Interesting. I thought Reacher was really popular in just like people talking about more so than I expected. And I, it was good. I mean, you and I love Reacher, but you, I, I, I think you were the only person I've ever discussed that show with. Huh? I don't know that it's not like a, it's not a talker like succession is, but I feel like a lot of people talked about watching and enjoying it. You know what I mean? Maybe Maisel in the beginning. Maisel definitely in the beginning was buzzy. Yeah, that's true. And now season five has been sitting on my queue for. Yeah, um, me too. Well, we just have a lot to do, but I I also think, like, that's a very high bar, and I think maybe these these streamers that are trying to gain that level of traction are going about it wrong, like HBO earned that with years of TV entertainment that wasn't TV. It was HBO, but still that like had to fit into that paradigm. And I don't know what the real 
I mean, I guess I it's I don't know. I don't know what the hard like tangible advantage of having a week to week show for Amazon Prime really is if people will binge the stuff like if the same number of people end up watching it is a week to week show materially better for Amazon than a binge. I don't know. It must be. Right. It must I think be. But it seems like reasons on the platform where that would be the case. But I could I could be wrong. No, I mean, I, Netflix, I, Netflix is the only one that seems really, really into the binge model. And even they've strayed a little bit at times. Right. So, well, yeah. And I get straying because I think there are times where. Like, I don't know, my goal, obviously, and this comes from being me and not an executive of a giant uh, television or streaming company, my goal would always be to improve the viewer experience until the most people watch it, right? Um, so, like, the viewer experience is how I would think about that. And I think there are situations where the viewer experience is benefited by not binging, you know? Um, And ironically, the show that gave us the most episodes this week, which was Love and Death, is, like, unbingeable for me. I yes. had to take time between watching them. I couldn't watch another one right after the other. It's just like a heavy emotional load that I wasn't interested in doing back to back. But something like Citadel, I think, is the exact opposite and would benefit tremendously from having all of it available right away. Yeah, I just roll in one. Just roll in. You know what I mean? That like, Yeah. Uh- I didn't hit the button in time. I guess I'm watching the next one. <laughs> right. And something exciting just happened that I am interested in seeing the yeah. result of. Yeah. Uh, I should mention before we get off of this that Stanley Tucci's on a heater. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's not slowing down here. <laughs> um. No, I mean, like Stanley Tucci getting tortured is is peak television in many ways. Yep, yep. I'll take it forever. Uh, <laughs> all right, I think we wrapped up the culture stuff. Do you, you got a, you got any basketball stuff before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, I think we are kind of in the midst of one of the great NBA playoffs in my lifetime. I, I, how, I define, how are you defining great in that situation? I, I, it, it, it's a it's a co- it's a it's a particular cocktail that involves significant upsets, competitive games, competitive series, and an unknown ultimate outcome. Like, yeah, I feel like I don't know if it's the it's the greatest, but it's certainly the most wide open. It's the it's the least predictable. I feel like of of any NBA playoffs in a long time. I think I could make an argument for every single team besides maybe the Knicks that remains winning the title. I think you can too, but I kind of think I have a, a favorite now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I guess I do too. I assume we're talking about the Denver Nuggets. We are. But they have yet to play a road game in their series, and what? I said fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, and I would add to that that two weeks ago, people were picking Phoenix to win the title, and all they've done is win the first series in five games and, like, not yet get a home game in round two. So, like, yes, I, I agree with you. I, I was not one of those people, though. I was, I was always on Denver to win. Well, so was I. But at the same time, like, Phoenix has, what, certainly two of the best three players in the series, even without Chris Paul available. Arguably three of the best four, probably not. But definitely yeah, two of the best they three. They have, they have two of the best three, except – some nights not, right? You know what I mean? Like like Jamal Murray on you know, when Jamal Murray gets in that Jamal Murray mode, he might be the best player on the floor, period. You know yeah, what I mean? I guess. So, but but he's clearly the fourth of those top yeah, four. And, yeah, if and just going, if you're just if you're picking players, yeah, you're not picking them second or third. Right. But like and, on any given night, he can be that. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm or arguing against my own really, opinion honestly. right now because you know I, I mean? Yeah, look, I think Denver's gonna win. I think they might even sweep him because I don't understand 
why Phoenix is uncoached on offense. It makes no sense to me. But And they're just running out of guys. They're just running out of – like they don't have enough guys. Yes, and that's something I said from the beginning. But it is shocking to me that they don't run any offense. Yeah. None. When Chris Paul's not out there, it's just like, all right, Devin's turn. Okay, Kevin's turn. And it's bad. Everyone's standing around. Anyway, and I'm with that, you. You know I'm, what I mean? Right? Like they're they're down 10 points on three-pointers just coming in every game pretty yes. much. You know what I mean? Yeah, but 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 there's still a lot of talent there. Who knows what could happen? So, I like, again, just I don't know that I've ever seen a playoffs where seven of the eight remaining teams were viable champions. Um, and we've already had an eight upset of one. Wait, who is the who's the who's the team that's not a viable champion to you? The Knicks. I just can't quite see it. Uh, Bing Bong, I can see it. Yeah, you can see Jalen Brunson being the best player on a title team. Uh, you know, I take that back. I <laughs> I take that back. I have a hard time seeing them winning the whole thing, but I I definitely see a path to them winning the East. Okay, maybe I I. Again, I struggle to see how they could beat Philly or Boston. Miami is a weird one. Miami is the the Gabri of the yeah, um, yeah 100%. Who knows with Miami? Miami could do anything at this point. Yes. Yeah. They could lose 3 in a row by 30 and it wouldn't shock me or they could win the next 3 and and be in the conference finals. It, it I I don't yeah. know. Um, 100%. My thing with New York is that and, and look, I don't want to put too much stock in the regular season. But they seem to match up really well with Boston and are definitely unafraid of them. You know, and I think that uh, the grinded out defensive nature of that matchup uh, could just sort of favor them if, uh, you know, things go the right way. I guess. Uh, but then you're really picking Jalen Brunson to basically beat Jason Tatum down the stretch of a tight defensive game. It's just. Yeah. I, you know what? That part I'm comfortable with. Playoff okay. Jalen Brunson and playoff and playoff Jason Tatum. Uh, I can see because playoff Jason Tatum's a little up and down. Playoff Jason Tatum disappears sometimes, or or has bad shooting games. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I I don't know. I just can't picture it. But but it's great if you think might have a coaching problem. I don't. They not, definitely I'm not a coaching expert, but but it seems like seems like they you know they underperform sometimes. They you definitely know? have a coaching problem. Um, yeah. But to be fair, like. They were in a difficult situation. Um, <laughs> also true. I but nevertheless, here we are. You know yeah. what I mean. And, and I think we haven't even mentioned the California series yet, which undeniably you could see either one of those teams winning sure. the title. Um, sure. It's just to me to have that wide open to have the star power that you have here. I mean, again, other than the Knicks. Like, obviously, Jimmy Butler is a is a strange case because he's probably never going to make another All NBA team because he doesn't care about the regular season at all. Um, but in these moments, he's clearly like a potential top five player in the league. All of these teams have galactic superstars. I mean, you, you've you've got. Steph and LeBron in one series, the the two players who've defined the last twenty years of the league. The Anthony Davis, every other night, is arguably the best player in in basketball. Right. Durant yeah. and Booker are both phenomenal. Jokic is a two time MVP. The Jason Should Tatum is as accomplished a like twenty five year old as the league has basically ever seen. Joel Embiid is the current MVP. Stole it's it. crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it is crazy. It is Harden crazy. has what <laughs> two or three? It, I mean, right. And when you do all of that, you're like, uh, you know, it does. It does seem rough for Jalen Brunson in, in that group. But if you're Jalen Brunson, you're not. You're, you're thinking you belong in that, right? You know what I mean? Why not? And you're shooting your threes and and throwing I mean, your he's... face hand hand up to your face and moving on. You know what I mean? So, in, in in his own way, he's the most incredible story of them all. Yep. I if if LeBron finds a way to the title, is it more impressive than the twenty uh, uh, sixteen comeback? I think it's the most impressive thing he's done in his career at this point. If if they if they could pull that off, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, same for Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's true. I mean, I, would it, say it's... I saw a, a buddy of mine on Twitter uh, made the point today, and I think he's certainly right, that uh, as as well-defined and entrenched as Steph Curry and LeBron James are, it's tough to imagine anything happening to change anyone's mind about either of them at this point. But this would be a remarkable, in some ways, like legacy extending game uh, championship for either of them if they could pull it off. Yeah, I mean, I think a fifth championship for either one put, really puts you in a different class. If you're LeBron, man, you're getting close to Jordan 6, and it does sort of – you know what I mean? Like it changes the tenor of that argument a little bit. And I think Steph five is, is really select company and it does yep. put you, I mean, you got to start talking about Steph in, in those kind of like, you know, magic bird fifth, sixth best ever player kind of terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. But again, I think my friend is right. Like I've already got him there. And I think if you don't, I'm not sure this changes your mind. So even though, like, numerically, you're right, I'm not sure it actually changes the literal discussion that much. I mean, to win two titles in your late 30s, I guess he's mid-30s, right? Mid-30s. Still. As a, as a, as a small guard. It, it's, it's incredible. Like, yeah. Like, Isaiah Thomas, who is one of the great players of all time, certainly one of the great point guards of all time, he was, like, done at 29. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is insane, you know? Um, and Steph, I think in a lot of ways is more physically impressive now than he's ever been. You know what I mean? Like he's certainly stronger. Yep. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, a better defensive player than he was five, six years ago. So, yeah, no, I mean, literally at Steph Curry's age, Isaiah Thomas had been retired from the league for, I think he was coaching at that point. (laughs) So he's two years out of basketball at Steph's age. And, and, you know, you can argue that the last three seasons in concert have have maybe been his best. Yeah. This one this one's way up there uh, for, uh, for me. Um it's uh it, it's it's really something to see and um you know obviously that game seven is 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 gonna be a legendary game and that guy who's got a career full of legendary playoff games. So yep. um yeah you know, I, the league's got to be thrilled, and certainly to get a LeBron Steph matchup. You know, yeah. I mean, I re- that's why I say like all these things combined to me make it holistically for me. Arguably, you know, look, I I enjoyed the years when the Bulls were definitely going to win very much as as a youth in Chicago. Yeah, less so. <laughs> well, right, but that's the thing: the Bulls were just definitely going to win. And it, it, I, I can admit from the viewpoint of someone who follows the sport at large with great passion, like that is less interesting and exciting for the rest of the fans yeah. of the game than Did what we're seeing like right now. All, all six of those years, I feel like the Phoenix year was the one year I thought maybe somebody else could do it. I mean, I, I would say all five because the first year you needed to see them, right, right, the Pistons. Yeah. But once they beat the Pistons... I didn't think they were going to beat the Lakers, honestly, in that first one. Yeah, I, I don't... It's, I, I, you know, I was again, I was 10 or 11. It's very hard. I guess not even 10 when that happened. So I, it's hard for me to remember those specifics. But I do remember that it was the Pistons were the were the wall that they had to get over, it felt like. Um, yeah, that was certainly the hump for them, for and, sure. And so once that happened, I did. I never thought they would lose again. The most surprising thing in my sports life, as silly as it is, was 45 losing to Shaq. Um, like, I just, even though he wasn't, even though he'd only been playing basketball again for like a month, <laughs> it just was inconceivable that he would lose in the playoffs. You just didn't believe yeah. Jordan would lose in the playoffs. That's Some that's that, all I that remember. That just got erased from the history books too. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think rightfully so in some ways. Like it just wasn't the same guy, and and you can understand why. But even that was surprising to me. So no, I yeah. I was. I'm with you, except I feel like it's Shaq doesn't get enough credit. You know right. what I mean? Um, like the idea that we all defend. Like I shouldn't say we all, but. 
that most people definitively think Kobe was better than Shaq, I feel like is is a little unfair. Yeah, you really shouldn't say we all because I don't definitively think that at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of people have Kobe's the third best player of all time, which to me is insane. Again, he's not the third best Laker, but right. um, it's that's fine. It's totally insane, and I think. Right. I mean, he's clearly. It's. I. I think it is. Nothing could be more clear that he is not the third. He. He is at best the third best Laker. At best, I said that'd be really charitable to me to say he's the third best Laker. Really? I mean, who do you have? I mean, I am assuming Kareem and Magic are one and two, right? Well, yeah, and I. I think everybody doesn't. Everybody think LeBron is better than Kobe. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess we could count that. And that's before you get into Wilt. And I then wouldn't. Sha- Okay, all right. Well, I would not count Wilt or LeBron. So I was thinking it's between Kobe and Shaq for fourth best or third best Laker. Um, maybe you should throw Jerry West in there, but I probably would not. Uh, Le- I, I, I think Jerry West is better than Kobe, too, but that's another story. Um, well, to me, that's the territory Kobe's in. Shaq, Jerry West, Kobe in the, like, 15-ish of all time yeah, range, I, which, by the way, is still I great. I LeBron played for a lot of other teams, but he's been a Laker for quite a while now, and he's going to be a Laker quite a while so i guess i mean to me he'll always be a calf <laughs> all right you know especially if he wins two titles here man it's you know we'll see anyway <laughs> i think we i think on that note we can get to homework right yes uh we're gonna keep it light this week because there's still a lot of basketball um and a lot of life for us to be getting to this week Amen. Uh, there's a show called silo yeah, um, it's getting a lot of it's getting a heavy push on like any time I'm watching something else on Apple TV Plus. Yeah, all that Tim Cook money behind uh, behind <laughs> Silo for sure. <laughs> so we're gonna check that out. David Ayelowo, uh, Rashida Jones, Common uh, yeah. among the stars, um, and Graham Yost, uh, who was uh, one of the uh, main guys behind Justified as an executive producer there. So that makes me excited. Nice. Um, and then uh, Class of 09, uh, which is on uh, FX and or Hulu. Um, and that is Brian Tyree Henry. Um, and uh, who am I forgetting in that? Um, there's another very famous person. I said it right before we started. It was one of the mayors, right? One of the mayors, Rooney Mayor? Yes. Yeah. No, it's Kate. Mayor. It's Kate. Kate Mayor. Damn it. I, I got my got my mares mixed up. Um <laughs> they're playing FBI agents in that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. the FBI class of 09. It sounds like it's going to be a like a college reunion or something, but no. It looks very FXy, and I mean that in the best way as, as you know, we're fans. Or at least I'm fan, big fan of FX. So No, I think we're both uh we could both be described as fans of FX, sure. I thought so too, but I didn't want to speak for you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your responsibility <laughs> with my voice. <laughs> um, and as right. always, we'll have more on the challenge and the Top Chef and yeah, uh, the NBA really, playoffs. Yeah, this the business end of all of those things. So that's right. I mean, I'm pretty sure Top Chef is headed to Paris soon, and we know we're only an episode away from the final on the challenge. So let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The doors closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard, the eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor, have yourself a tremendous evening.